The Tablet Show, Episode 100. Recorded live Wednesday, August 14th, 2013. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this recap show, Carl and Richard think back over the past two years of tablet shows. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome to the 100th episode of The Tablet Show, a spinoff, originally, of .NET Rocks, with me, Carl Franklin, and my buddy, Mr. Richard Campbell. Hey, buddy. How are you? I just remember back to the 100th episode of .NET Rocks, which, uh, as I recall, you were almost stunned. I was stunned. Um, I never intended to be a podcast host as a career, but there you go. Things just happen, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, I would never thought people would listen as much as they do, but they do, and they want to hear more. Yeah. You remember when we thought we would run out of things to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I still have Larry David moments. Yeah. You know, they, I remember reading a piece from Larry David where he'd say every time they got a new season of Seinfeld, he'd cry himself to sleep. He's like, how do I come up with 22 more of these things? Yeah, the reality is, I mean, with us, it's a little bit easier because we're we're simply sort of ruminating on reality, whereas he has to create fantasy, Yeah, you know? But actually, you know, focusing on what's important and keeping your eye on the ball going forward is really interesting. And after 100 episodes of Tablet Shows, it's kind of fun to look back over two years and get a sense of where we came from and what's changed and what hasn't. Yeah. Well, we have a a whole lot in store in that uh, vein. But first, let's get started with Better Know Framework. All right, what do you got? Well, seeing as how today's show is pretty much one big, long series of Better Know Frameworks, you know, (laughs) just (laughs) pointing out things on the web, uh, I thought I would start with a little, uh, you know, a a little self uh, self promotion. Mm -hmm. So my solo album, Been a While, has finally been released. It went, uh, it was released yesterday. So this comes out on September second. It was officially available September first. And uh, if you go to carlfranklin.com, you will be able to see it there and listen to a few clips. There's links to iTunes, Amazon. Of course, if you just go to iTunes or Amazon, you can get it there. Um, If you want a physical copy, there's a link there to the Pwop store where you can buy a physical copy and we'll get it to you. But the big news here on the, it's nine groovy songs, so uh, sort of. Yeah, everybody compares me to Steely Dan, but um, I'm just highly influenced. Uh, it's not, Yeah, you're a big Steely Dan fan. I'm a Steely Dan fan, and it comes out, but you won't say, oh, that sounds like reeling in the years. You won't say that. Uh, right. It definitely sounds like me. But, you know, that, that sensibility of just really great tight grooves, excellent playing, good harmonies, uh, horns, and uh, good singing and playing. So, uh, John Schofield... The great John Schofield, who played with Miles Davis and uh, is all over the news now. He's playing with everybody. He uh, played on my album. And that is the story. So that is cut number three. The tune is Chain Reaction. I'll just play a little bit of that for you right now. go all right okay carlfranklin.com know it learn it love it hey you know every once in a while i get to blow my own horn there you go or something richard who's talking to us i grabbed a comment off of show 94 
That's the one we did with Jim McKeith, talking about using Delphi to do tablet development. Yeah. And that was kind of a you know surprise. Hey, remember Delphi? That's right. It's now, you know, Embarcadero owns it now, and it's never gone away. And they're in the mobile development space, specifically building native cross-platform apps. Well, and it is a Anders Heilsberg creation. Right? Yeah, but it certainly has evolved since then. But yeah, in its essence, this is one of Anders' babies from way back when. Right. And this comment comes from Steve Barnett, who says, I was so excited to see this subject come up. Many years ago, back in the Borland days, I made an effort to learn Delphi. It felt like a far more elegant language than anything else available at the time. So the thoughts of cross-platform development instantly appealed to me. Then I went to the website, saw that I only got iOS development capabilities with the Enterprise Edition, and that I would need to fork over 2,000 pounds sterling to get started. With so many free or near-free tools, I cannot see how any tools manufacturer can justify such a high cost. When will they understand that it is the jobbing developer playing with code in their own time who makes the case for organizations to adopt these technologies? When will they stop pricing the little person out of the tools? Yeah. So, Steve, I went and double-checked the pricing on Delphi. And just to be clear here, right, this is definitely not a free product. They have time-limited editions, which I think you don't even mention it, and I don't even really want to mention either, because none of us like that. It's mm -hmm. kind of a nuisance. And in some respects, I think you're giving them an unfair deal, because, you know, 2,000 pounds sterling, I think that's about three grand. And the, and the Enterprise Edition of Delphi is, is 2,500 U.S. dollars. Right. So straight up with no, you know, you haven't bought anything. You're just going to buy the whole thing right there. So it's not quite 2000 pounds sterling, but more relevantly, you don't have to buy that edition to do iOS. If you buy the pro edition, which is a thousand dollars, and then you have to buy a mobile add on for $500, you've got it. So it's, it's 1500 bucks. Right. Okay. And that's, you know, 1200 pounds sterling it's still not free by any stretch of the imagination but it's you know you don't have to spend quite that much it's more in line with a professional copy of visual studio mm -hmm. but i'm with you that embarcadero has missed the boat in the sense that what microsoft's done where you can you know the express edition of visual studio is non-time limited completely free edition that can do all sorts of things but they won't do cross-platform mobile development. For that, you'd need something like Xamarin. Xamarin's not free. Right. So there's money to be spent there one way or the other. You just got to figure out what a reasonable price is. And yeah, it's going to be really hard to be a hobbyist in that particular space. But, uh, you know, that's the way things work. I appreciate you pointing that out and uh, totally agree with you in that respect. But this is what it is. And that's not going to stop me from sending you a tablet show mug. Absolutely not. So a tablet show mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a tablet show mug, write a comment on the website at thetabletshow.com. You know, what was especially cool about that is just to, you know, what? Whole, really? You guys are in this? Like, uh, you know, it's it's good to hear what a sort of, uh, uh, I would call them an underdog, you know, what their strategy is and, you know, how they try to differentiate themselves. And let's face it, most of us in the business are underdogs right? Most of yes. us. So it's a good perspective to have. And I would argue this industry is better for the underdogs, not the incumbents. Yeah. And, and for the most, my, you know, looking, this gets back to our overarching show, but most of the companies that we work with, and I'll put Apple in this category, mm -hmm. Microsoft in this category, and even Google in this category, really struggle as leaders. Yep. They do much better as the underdog. Right, when they're struggling to become the leader. Yeah, once they become the leaders, they sort of lose direction. They don't know what to do. Yeah, interesting. Well, let us reflect, shall we, on the past two years of the tablet show. Let us start with why we started this crazy show in the first place. We <laughs> went to the first build. Yes. And I remember uh, going to Tim Huckabee's party full of regional directors and yeah. press and pundits and you know, people who had a stake in what was going on, uh, and it was the day before build. And we did a .NET Rocks on this, I believe. It was episode nine, 700. Yeah, episode 700. So we walked around and we asked people what their predictions would be, um, uh, you know, for build. What were, what were we going to hear? And, you know, some of them were right on, some of them weren't. But uh, it was all interesting. And after build... You and I basically decided that, well, you know, tablets aren't going away. They're here to stay. Microsoft is in the game. There's going to be a whole bunch of .NET developers that, A, want to learn how to develop for Windows 8, and B, probably want to learn how to leverage their skills on these other devices, 
even if they don't have any, you know, chops in Objective C or Java or anything like that. So we wanted to show for the .NET developer that is now getting into this market. That's what the Tablet Show is. So back then, Richard, you've been doing research for the last few hours on uh, on what was going on back in 2011 and what's going on now. What what did you find? Well. Yeah, funny things that I sort of discovered. Right before we published the Tablet Show is when Steve Jobs passed away. That's right. So it was literally the week before, probably the week, the time that we usually shoot about a week ahead. So yeah. about around the time we were recording the very first Tablet Show with Billy and Rocky mm. was when the uh, was when Jobs passed away. So it's amazing to think it's already been two years since that happened. Right. And, you know, overall, just looking at the market space and looking at the reports from that time, things haven't changed all that much, really. There's only a few key parts, but even then, Android was beating iOS. Yeah. It, that actually happened back in the, in 2010. So they were already talking about that. Smartphones were finally, you know, we're gaining market share. It's only just recently that smartphones are now becoming more common than uh, than feature phones. Mm. Now, what do you call a smartphone versus a feature phone? Then that's an excellent question, sir. I appreciate you asking that for simply because the line is pretty darn blurry. It used to be, you know, all smartphones look like iPhones. They're the candy bar, you know, the the slab o glass yeah. style phones. But there are slab o glass feature phones. Near as I can tell, the only thing that really separates a smartphone from a feature phone today is being able to install apps on it. So a, a feature phone has apps or vice versa? Uh, only a smartphone has apps that the that the customer can install. A feature phone comes with a configuration that generally is not changeable. Okay. So so in that case, I've never had a feature phone. So a feature phone has is, is something that comes with a set of apps from the manufacturer right. that you cannot change. That's basically pre-configured. They, these days, they can typically surf the web. There are phones out there that can't surf the web. All smartphones can certainly surf the web, but there are feature phones there. The funny part now is that if you go with that definition of that's the difference between a feature phone and a smartphone, there are some Android phones out there that aren't smartphones. That are feature phones, yeah. And still, so I, I tend to think of feature phones as something ago, like in the past, but you're saying, no, these are you, you still can get these today, and obviously they must be cheaper because they're more limited. But at the same time, you're seeing... In the phone market across the board, smartphones dropping in price. Like Nokia's uh, Lumia 520 mm -hmm. is a $100 smartphone. Wow. And it has only been out for a few months, and it's already the large, most popular Nokia smartphone in the Windows 8 space. Hmm. More The number two being the 920, the one you and I have. Mm -hmm. This five, which has been out uh, almost a year now. The 520 is just take it, it really, you know, we're back to what is Microsoft actually good at? Yeah. Commoditizing a market. You know, not, it's, it's nice to have a leading phone, but sort of recognize it's the back end. And there's one thing I could see between now and then Nokia has stepped up their game. Yes, they have. Back in October of 2011, we had a bunch of different. WinPhone 7s. Remember those? I do. Sure. And there was a bunch of different manufacturers, and there's no one thing. The whole uh, Nokia is a burning platform. We have to jump. Mm -hmm. That had just happened, and mm -hmm. they were just figuring that out. You know, the first round of phones were coming out. Right. You compare that to today, yeah. where uh, it's amazing. Nokia's put out a new device every other month. I think they care more about WinPhone 8 than Microsoft does. Well, and I, I'll say it again, I've said it many times, what I think has really propelled the Lumia series of Nokia phones forward is the quality of the camera. And they've taken that now to new heights with the 1020, which has a 41 megapixel camera in it. Yeah, and there's a great new ad out talking about, they, they once again, doing the whole Apple-Android battle right. in, a, in a kid's uh, um, stage play. Yep. And the guys using the Windows phone are sitting at the back and able to take good photographs without having to jump in and press up front. Or, yeah. yeah, it's only been the last, it's just the 920 and the 1020, I think, that it really have taken the camera to a new level. That's right. The 900 was an okay camera, but the yep. 920 was the one where you, when you and I got them, I, we were on the road on trip. On the road trip. And I remember taking that picture at midnight in Chicago. I can't remember where it was. But anyway, we were out uh, after the gig and it was 
at a, you know, a restaurant bar and we were out on the patio. And so it was midnight or so. And I took a photo and I looked at it and it looked like it was daytime. Yeah. It looked like it was daytime. I couldn't believe it. And the key is to turn the flash off. And it still does a little blinky flash thing. But I don't know, with the timing or something that it, it, it looks so natural, like the 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 surroundings in the background what was in back of me was lit up just as evenly as what was in the foreground it was really amazing really interesting sensitivity yeah so back in 2011 when we were first doing this mm-hmm. it was apple and android devices there were a variety and you know android we were already complaining about fragmentation right. apple was still plowing along right the windows phone was nowhere the 7 had just come along yeah. so i think you know in two years i think the most impressive thing we've seen is how nokia has really focused and taken windows phone a long way right there's another new player in the phone market uh, and it's not samsung because samsung was already right standing out in 2011 yep. the new player just recently is lenovo mm-hmm. and those you know I hate the term the post PC world, and we'll talk about tablets in a bit. But of the, when you talk about hardware manufacturers all losing market share, Dell, HP, you know, all those guys taking a beating, right. Lenovo hasn't. Right. They've actually gained market share by maintaining their sales levels. And I think it comes from they're just building really awesome hardware. Mm-hmm. The X1, the Yoga, and also like, Take if you've never looked at it. Look at the Lenovo K900. I've, admittedly, it is yet another slab of glass phone, right? It's a iPhone style phone, but they've just refined it a little bit more. It is Android, and I'm, but it's not about the OS, right? It's about metal casing, in seven millimeters thickness, like really incredibly thin. thin. And I'm looking at this in the browser. Uh, we have the links on the website, thetabletshow.com. We're not putting them in tiny URL or anything. So you can go look at it, or just to look for uh, shop.lenovo.com and search for uh, K900. It's really crazy, this thing. So in the end, it's still essentially a variant on the iPhone. It's just, I think, one of the best manifestations I've ever seen on the Android side. Yeah. Right, it's the style's the same, but this is 1080p, 400 pixels per inch, uh, 13 megapixel camera, thinner than anything you've ever seen. Corning like Gorilla Glass too, of course. Yeah, right. I mean, those are all they they hit they hit all the marks. That just once again, I'm I'm just in awe of Lenovo's design. They've refined the product. And I, I wonder if they're going to be able to, they're, they're now at 5% in the market share. Well, another thing we should say too, being that we like the cameras, this has a 13 megapixel rear camera with a, an F1.8. That's a very low uh, F-stop, uh, wide aperture for low light lens, and uh, it takes 1080p HD videos. So that's pretty good. Yep. They are refinements. I, we in two years. Have you really seen any innovation in the phone? Yeah, other than the cameras, no. Yeah, no. It maybe in maybe in a little bit in battery life, but uh, yeah, I think the battery is still the w- biggest weakness. Yeah. Just going back and forth. I'm happy that we're settling on the micro USB. I mean, everybody but yeah. Apple, yeah. as there's one plug. Anybody can get a cable like that. Stupidity's gone away. Uh but it does seem like it's just continued to be a refinement. We've refined, refined. Well, I think Apple comes out with a new plug style for every new version of their phone, I think. Yeah. <laughs> They've only changed it once, but it really is disruptive when they do. And it, and it just speaks to, like, why are we doing these custom plugs? Well, they're doing it because that's more money they can make on you. That's why. I don't know if I'm that cynical about it. I am. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But it is interesting to see how... Uh, I'm looking at Gartner's uh, smartphone sales data for the second quarter of 2013, so the current. It's And they say, this is worldwide, 32% of the market, Samsung. Yep. Okay, so that means Android. That's S2, S3, S4. You know, Samsung makes a lot of phones. 14% Apple. Apple. You can't argue with that. Those nope. are expensive phones. And, and they, of course, the penetration is much larger in the U.S. Yep. But uh, they are worldwide. Uh, the others, uh, you know, LG and, and ZTE, which is where, you know, the, the Chinese manufacturer, ZTE, mm-hmm. they 
are, are you know, 5% small players. They've always been there and always been a small player. Lenovo came from in the others category to 5% of market share wow. in roughly a year. Wow. And so the others is 40%, and that means that they have to have, what, less than 4% each? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, you know, not in the same So league. there's at least 10 at least ten other players there in that category. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, look at the, the smartphone sales data worldwide uh, that Gartner put out for Q2 2013. Mm-hmm. Android is utterly dominant. Incredibly dominant. Like, yeah. uh, what are we looking at? Six times iOS, something yes. like that? Yeah, it's just... And, and you know, what does that really mean here? You know, wh- where are we at? Because I, I think in some ways it's unfair to show Android as a single product. Well, and it's also operating system sales, really. You're tying it to sales, and clearly you're not selling the operating system when it comes to Android. Right. Well, and, it, and it's not one operating system. You know, there yeah. was a great stat showing that it's like 95% of all iOS devices that are still being used are at the current version of the OS. Mm. They're right at uh, iOS 6, mm. where Android devices don't get updated. Yeah. I mean, poor Google... Right. They'd find this major bug in Android that allow that makes it possible for almost any app installed on Android phones to be exploited. Yeah. To be a conduit for malware. They they rush to a fix, they get the fix, and the carriers aren't gonna deploy it. Mm-hmm. Why would they? Just wait for the new phone. You know, the reason Android is dominant and the reason Android is fragmented is the same reason. It's the carriers. Yeah. The carriers aren't concerned with those things. And uh, Google's sort of thinking about ditching Android, aren't they? Or it seems that way. Well, yeah, there seems to be hints along this line. So Andy Rubin is the guy that started Android and got acquired by Google. And he was leading Android up until early this year. Uh, He's working on on a different project, an unnamed project inside of the company, which I totally buy. I mean, Andy Rubin's an amazing guy. But Android's now being run by Sundar Pichai. And he's the guy who's actually behind Chrome OS. So the sort of hint here is, could it be that Google's going to start making Chrome OS phones Mm. and distance themselves from Android? Because it feels like Android has spun out of control. It's interesting that they do that, but it still doesn't mean that they would have control over all of those Android devices. I mean, they would effectively be competing with themselves. Yes. But I think in some some respects, it's like they're just going to wash their hands of this. It's a mess. It's a mess. And I don't think it's a fixable mess. And the funny part is I feel like we've seen this mess before. Yes, we have. It's Windows CE all over again. Yeah. The difference being, you know, it's a slightly different marketplace now, and and the the smartphone's more important, the hardware's more stable, and the carriers are off doing their own things. But I feel like the sooner or later, the average consumer, and I don't think the for the most part that's the listener to this show, is fi- going to figure out the carriers do not have your best interests at heart, and the what they're doing with phones is actually bad for everybody. Mm. And we're going to want an alternative. And I think Google's focused on that potential alternative. Certainly no Microsoft is. This portion of the Tablet Show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the tablet show. Okay, so let's talk about Apple's continued slide in popularity. And when we started in October of 2011 and, and, uh, and Steve had just passed... Apple was still pretty much at a high. 
You know, I, I would argue we got into this, started doing this show just the point where Apple began that decline. Mm. Their stock price was astronomical. People mm. were talking about it going to a thousand. I think it was at 700 and something. Right. And it, it, it was, and it was all on the back of the iPad. Actually, the iPad 2 had just come out. Right. The tablet market was at its beginnings in 2011, right. really. But, uh, and since then, the market has grown massively. This, this shift towards tablets is really interesting. And I just don't buy the abandoning of PCs. I think that we've stratified a market in a very rational way. But the fact that is that Apple has been largely a one trick pony around iOS. Mm. They did it with the phone. They've done it with the tablet and they need something new in 2013. 2011, they have done, they could do no wrong. But in this past two years, it's only been minor refinements, with the exception of one product, which I find really interesting because it was a product that Steve Jobs refused to make, and that was the seven-inch tablet. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. the iPad Mini explode. They, he said he'd never make it. Seven inches was a dumb size. Clearly, he was wrong. Yeah, because that i that mini iPad has sold a lot. And, it, and it's really interesting to see how the market is shaking out. We're hearing, seeing people talk about the fact that it seems like the 7-inch device is the device I want to take with me everywhere. The 10-inch device is too big. And even my smartphone is not all that interesting. The 4-inch device is too small. Maybe 7 is the magic number. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it certainly is a balance. I mean, there are things that I can't do so well on my phone that I'd like to do. I mean, I love having it so small that it fits in my pocket. And there's just a couple of things that, that I can't do on it because of the size. And I'm not so sure that design, you know, website design or app design can help me with that. No. Yeah. You know, and, and we talk a lot about that. I think some of the most popular tablet shows we've done over the past two years have been about responsive design, mm. mobile first design, mm. you know, that whole set of thinking to make apps that work better on these different sizes because without a doubt we're now in this crazy heterogeneous client world where your screen size is all over the map but the horsepower inside a device is capable of rendering it no matter what right but i think we're also feeling around for what is the perfect size iphone resisted getting bigger they stayed with that four inch format where you see uh, the biggest Nokia's and the biggest Android phones, the, like the uh, the Galaxy S4, getting yeah. up to f- nearly five inches, right. almost too big for one-handed use. But it's people want more screen space, and they see the same thing happen. Tablets, you went the other way. The ten-inch form factor meant you pretty much had to sit down and put both ban- hands on it to use it, yeah. or you sat it on a table. The seven-inch is like the Kindle. I think the Kindle plugged into this first. It's just about the right size that you can still one-hand it for consumption work. Mm. It's big enough that you can really read and see stuff on it. And if you have to do a little bit of input, it's not as painful as a phone. Right. So, yeah, yeah, I wonder, two more years from now, at show 200, is this just going to be self-evident that this is the perfect size? Well, I'll tell you what, though. I, I, In terms of PC sales... I was a little skeptical about adoption of, you know, touch laptops, let's call them. Yeah. Until I saw the response of my wife and kids to their touch laptops. I'm totally with you. They went, you know, I went to Best Buy with one of the kids and she just wanted a laptop. She did not want touch. She didn't want anything. And then she tried them in the store and it took like all of 10 seconds to sell her on it. Oh yeah. That's what I want. So, I think touch laptops may be a gateway drug to tablet or, you know, sort of surface like detachables um, you know, which may be a little uh too much for somebody who works mostly uh, on the laptop. But I think that's where we're seriously going with the whole tablet thing. If you have a tablet like an iPad, why wouldn't you want a, a keyboard and uh to be able to sit down and work with it. Well, now you talk about stuff like the Asus Vivo Tab. The Asus Vivo Tab. We, we talked about this on a couple of shows ago. This is, uh, quite frankly, astounding. I mean, in specification anyway, I, I looked up on Amazon.com. It has 51 reviews, 25 star reviews, 13 four star reviews, but it has seven uh, three star and seven one star reviews and four two star reviews too. So you know some people are having trouble with them. Sure, but uh, I suppose that's 
I suppose that's expected. Yeah, you know, throw the worst 10% and the best 10% away. You're probably right. And you're sitting there between it at four and a half four stars, and five, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is pretty impressive. What I like, I mean, and the whole thing here is a real keyboard that yep. you really, so it's a slate machine. And I think this is the magic form factor, a self-contained computer that's a yep. slate with a decent battery life on its own that snaps into a keyboard that has a much bigger battery in it. So you have a real keyboard when you want it and you have epic battery life yeah. when when you need it as well. Right. That seems to be playing out. Convertibles, eh, the yoga is lovely, but it's just not. You know why? Don't the nice thing is not having a keyboard when you don't want one. So let me give you some specs here. This is a 10.1 inch, 64 gig tablet, and of course it comes in a 32 gig version and also an RT version. But the one I'm looking at here, it's 430 bucks on Amazon, and the specs are a 1366 by 768, pretty standard size uh, screen, 1.8 gigahertz Atom Z2760, uh, two gigs of RAM. Uh, we've got, as I said, 64 gigs of storage and, uh, Windows 8, of course. It's, uh, how heavy is it? 1.3 pounds. Wow. Not bad. For under 500 bucks. Not bad for under 500 bucks and eight and a half hour battery life average. You know what? It's better than the Surface. Yeah. But wasn't that the point? Half the price too. Less than price, nicer looking machine. Like remember when a $500 laptop was a plastic piece of crap? Yeah. And now this, it's gorgeous. Like it's that that smooth metal finish. Like it's really a pretty machine. I never understood the, you know, how good your machine could look kind of thing until I got one of these Asus units. Yeah. I got the UX31. And all of a sudden I could relate to Apple fanboys better. Yeah. Because they, you know, they petted their, their MacBook Airs. And I never got that until I had a machine so nice I wanted to pet it. Yep. So, but I also appreciate Asus set a bar here. You know, they went over, you know, Microsoft created the Surface, and I always believed that the Surface was about setting a minimum bar. This is the minimum machine you can build and actually sell. Mm. And then the some of these manufacturers have built better machines than that. They've gone over that bar. And that, to me, is exciting. Like, that, that speaks to a healthy market. Right. That we're actually seeing innovation in that space, both in price and style. So let's talk about other things besides the Asus. CNET.com does reviews of tablets and their editors pick their favorites. Uh, I guess they do them every year. I'm not sure. But anyway, if uh, there's a link to reviews.cnet.com, best-tablets. Uh, this was updated August 15th, 2013. So they have uh, categories. Your first choice, best small tablet, best media consumption tablet, Best premium Android tablet, best tablet value, most innovative tablet interface, and best productivity tablet. All right, so you ready? Yeah, sure. Your first choice, Apple iPad, fourth generation. You can't argue with that, right? They, these guys invented this space. Yep. They made the tablet a reality in, in terms of that form factor. This much battery life, this size. Yep. The, the Retina display was the the later innovation. Yep, yep. Uh, priced accordingly. $499. You know, yeah, but uh, you know, it's a great place to start. If you don't know what the heck you're buying, or you're buying someone you know for the first time, of course you'd get an there iPad. There you go. Okay. The best small tablet, the Google Nexus 7 in the 16 gig form factor, 2013 uh, version, 229. The Nexus 7 is the new high watermark for small tablets, they say, with a razor sharp screen, fast performance, and a robust app ecosystem that improves on nearly a daily basis. And, of course, the real competitor there would be the iPad Mini. Yeah. And the only thing you could say against the iPad Mini is the price. Yep. But that but Google was able to come in underneath the cost of the iPad Mini. Uh, best media consumption, tablet, Amazon Kindle Fire HD 8.9, 269 is their lowest price they could find. And uh, there you go. Kindle Fire. But do you know what makes that? Kindle Fire, great. I, the device is good. It's I don't think it's necessarily better than the the Nexus Seven hardware wise. What makes it great is Amazon Prime. Mm, yeah. Amazon's ecosystem, the way that it's, they've taken away the whole figure out what app to install and mm. all of that other stuff. It's you pay one price per month to be an Amazon Prime member, and stuff just works. Yep. And it's it's one of those. I think it's unsung winner. Yeah. That people don't realize the that, service that, behind it. Yeah. 
Amazon has done an awesome job of making an ecosystem without making it feel so much like a walled garden, although really it is. And I got to tell you, uh, I the only thing that I watch video-wise, you know, forget about TV or anything like that, cable TV, the only thing that I watch is Amazon Prime. You know, yeah. If I'm going to watch anything, I, I don't even do Netflix anymore, although it's probably about the same. Yeah, but uh, now, I find Netflix a hassle to find things in. Like they've got they've got the app store problem. There's just a lot of stuff, and it's nothing you're looking for. Yeah, but it seems like Amazon has that nailed. Okay, uh, best premium Android tablet, the Google Nexus 10. Pound for pound, the Nexus 10's most powerful Android tablet currently, and with an iPad beating screen resolution, it also delivers the sharpest visuals yet on any mobile device. Priced at three ninety nine. And that, to me, the interesting part about this is Retina displays have come of age. Yeah. Apple brought this thing to the market, but everybody's doing it now. And I'm hunting down for those ultra-high resolution displays for my desktop machines now. I want them everywhere. Yeah. And they're they're coming. Uh, and really interesting to see how high-res that those things actually are and that it makes a difference. Now, why is it that you want high resolution? Is it for gaming? No. It, the funny part is you get too high-res on gaming, it slows the game down a long way. Right. Uh, but it's it's the HD experience. It's you know not being able to see the pixels, better color registration, high, higher resolution graphics aren't huge. They don't get interpolated. Like, but do you is that a problem for you? Like, I've got two thirty inch monitors here. Yeah, and they they look great for me. I don't I don't see pixels. I don't have. And I've got thirties in front of me as well. Yeah. But those th- thirty you've got there is twenty five sixty by sixteen hundred, right. just like mine. Yeah. So imagine exactly the same form factor. This is the monitor that Asus is making the PQ321, but it's 3840 by 2160. Right. So it's another, you know, 60, 70% denser in resolution. And it's one of those things that once you see it, just like the retina displays on these machines, you just have the shock of, wow, I didn't think anything could look that good. Yeah, I guess you're right. And I I call it the HD effect. HD was la, 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 till you saw 1080p. Right. And went, well, and we're looking at something that was made with 1080p. And I hate to say it, but you know, it was the NFL. Yeah. The first time I saw a football game, not that I care a lot about football, right. but the first time I saw a football game that was end-to-end 1080p resolution, yeah. I just, it changed it. And it's one of those profound things. And I think these ultra-high resolution displays, same impact. I had a great experience making a video for uh, somebody. It was a it was a video for hire, uh, you know, about their dog that was... It's a funny story. Their dog was dying, you know, and they wanted footage of the dog. So I went to their house and took some footage of the dog playing and whatever and came back and made a, a Blu-ray disc for this person. And they had never seen Blu-ray. They, I put it up on the TV and they had, you know, they did not have high def or whatever. And the, the quality was so good, they actually went out and got a high def TV. Wow. Yeah. And it's one of those things, until you see it, you don't get it. Yep. And, you know, kudos to Apple for bringing the retina to our minds, that that uh, the very high pixels per inch displays. Everybody else has jumped on. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the norm. Okay, best tablet value, Barnes & Noble Nook HD Plus, coming in at $149. Barnes <sighs> & Noble's decision to open its Nook HD tablets to the Google Play Store was almost as smart as the recent price cuts. At 149 the Nook HD Plus is probably the best tablet deal currently available. Yep. Yep. What can you say? Barnes & Noble has always had Amazon Envy. Yeah. And they've been trying to play along ever since. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, admittedly, these are the editors trying to make happy noises about all these different devices. True. That's true. You know, this is, consider the source. This is CNET.com, the yeah. editors of CNET.com. You know, I think I'd spend the extra $100 and get a Kindle Fire. Well, check it out first, though. I mean, if money is your primary concern, you might want to check it out. Most innovative tablet interface, Samsung Galaxy Note 8. White. Now, I don't know why the white one was chosen, but beneath the Galaxy Note 8's high price, and it's $376.51 is the lowest price they could find, lies Samsung's best tablet yet. A beautiful screen complements an almost seamlessly integrated stylus that feels natural, intuitive, and at times preferred over your fingers. Hmm. You know what's interesting about the Galaxy Note? Yeah. Samsung made their very first Galaxy Note, that Note, in October of 2011, when we were starting the tablet show. 
And they were laughed out of the market at the time as a goofy size because it was actually the original note. It was supposed to be a phone. Mm. Tablets, you know, didn't really exist. It was just the iPad so far. You know, people still dabbling in tablets. It was still at the beginning of all of that. And here was this weirdo phone that was so big and they sold a ton of them. And so in the two years since the very first note, you know, in the time span, same time span as the tablet show, the mini tablet has become the dominant tablet. Kindle Fire has been huge so forth. And this is the, a lot of ways, the originator of all of that, the note. And this is the latest manifestation by Samsung. Okay. The last category, best productivity tablet. Guess who it is? It's got to be Windows. It's Microsoft Surface with Windows 8 Pro, 64 gig. Though twice as expensive as its RT brother, and it's $799, $800 essentially, Surface Pro is the version to get, especially if getting work done is a primary concern. Microsoft Surface Pro fits a full Ultrabook experience in a compact 10-inch tablet. Thanks to the ingenious type-and-touch covers, it offers a comfortable interface and typing experience. The clean, crisp design and sharp 1080p screen rise above the competition. They are disappointed a little bit in the battery life, and more ports would be nice, uh, you know. But there you go. Yeah, and I already think guys like Asus and Lenovo are building better uh, Windows Eight tablets than Microsoft is. Well, right now they are. Yeah, and clearly we're due for the next version of this tablet. Yes, we are from Microsoft. But it, at the same time, you know. It's very controversial that they got into hardware at all. Right. Should and should they stay in it? Yeah, I don't know. You know, they made they made their business on building an ecosystem, having a group of companies that were making competing with each other to make better and better products. And it didn't always work, but it in general drove this industry forward. So, it'll be interesting to see if they stay in the hardware business or if they back out of it and uh, let the ecosystem do its thing. Or because it's very tough to make a living setting the sort of baseline. Uh, we'll never be the best machine. We'll be the minimum machine. Sure. And I, and I don't know that they can actually function that way forever anyway. You know, they, they you saw the, the numbers. They sold in the same time that Apple sold $25 billion worth of tablets. Microsoft sold $900 million worth of surfaces and took a $900 million write down on their inventory. All right, now there's one other uh, website I want to bring you to, which is at crn.com, and we'll add a link to this. And the article is Top 5 Best-Selling Tablets by Brand by Lisa Berry. It's uh, August 5th, 2013, and uh, it's a, they call them slides. It's like a series of pages within the pages, right? And this, does not, this data does not include Apple data. Uh, they refer to a May 2013 report by the NPD Group, a Port Washington, New York-based market research company that provides sales out data from leading technology distributors. So a top five breakdown of the best-selling tablet brands for May does not include Apple data. All right, so the number five is Asus. Number five is Asus. What they say is, though still a strong fifth-place holder for best-selling tablet brand, Asus dropped nearly 12 market share points from the previous May, from 22.4 to 10.6 points. Asus' popular MemoPad line runs on Android, Jellybean 4.1, and has an NVIDIA Tegra quad-core processor. Asus's Vivo Tab line sports tablets running either Windows RT or Windows 8. The Vivo tabs can be docked easily into a keyboard for higher production purposes. Of the top 10 best-selling tablet products, Asus did not have a bestseller for the month of May. Isn't that interesting? Because we were looking at the Vivo tab. And by the way, I just bought one. So <laughs> I'll let you But know. that's from May, right? That's from like May. They, they hadn't released it yet. That They referred to it in this uh, yeah. thing in August, right? But it, yeah, it's just a question of when it actually comes out. They were talking in August about it, but this is from May data. So when did uh, the Vivo tab release? It actually was available. That's my question. Yeah. Just, you know, they're still in limited availability. You can start, you're now able to order them. But, okay. you know, Asus sort of telegraphed their hand when they were announcing these phones, or these devices well in advance. All right. Well, I'd be interested to hear what uh, how they how well they're doing now. Okay, number four is Google Nexus. 
New to the tablet market since the previous year, Google Nexus jumped from non-existent to claiming 12% market share points. The Google Nexus 7 tablet made by Asus was the number three best-selling tablet overall in the month of May. The 7-inch, 16-gig tablet was the first to ship with Android Jelly Bean 4.1. After the original Google Nexus 7 tablet proved popular, an all-new Google Nexus 7 tablet was released in July, loaded with Android 4.3 Jelly Bean. So that's number four. Number three is Lenovo. Increasing 9.7 market share points from May 2012, Lenovo lands in the number three spot for best-selling tablet brand for the month of May. Lenovo's tablet contenders came from the ThinkPad line, specifically the 10.1-inch 64-gig ThinkPad Tablet 2. The ThinkPad Tablet 2 runs the Windows 8 operating system and a 1.8 gigahertz Intel Atom processor. It also comes loaded with Office Home and Student 2013. Number two, Panasonic, which is something that we we haven't even brought up Panasonic yet. Nope. The runner-up to Samsung, which is first. Panasonic was the second best-selling tablet brand for the month of May. The hottest-selling Panasonic tablet was the 10.1-inch 16-gig tablet, the ToughPad FZ-A1. The rugged Android tablet is water- and wind-resistant and can withstand being dropped from up to four feet. The FZA1 is also FIPS, uh, FIPS, whatever that is, 140-2 compliant and has dedicated security core for data encryption. In addition to the FZA1, the 10.1-inch Toughbook H2 also made the list of top 10 best-selling tablets for the month of May. Panasonic experienced a 9.1 market share point increase from the previous May. You know, this is a market in and all of itself, which is ruggedized devices, something right. we see all the time when the UPS guy or the FedEx guy shows up, we need to sign for a package, but we don't really think of uh, tablets in the ruggedized market because I, you know, I don't see them all that much. No, and it, but I think it's a totally different conversation. Like in some ways, this list is odd. It is odd. Because these are all consumer devices except for that Panasonic device. Right. But they were just talking about sales in May without iPad in. Yeah. And so what's exciting to me about the Panasonic is now it's not talking about a consumer device. We're talking about a device that does work. Right. That's why you want a ruggedized device. And so, you, you know, that probably represents a half a dozen or maybe 20 sales, mm. but big block sales. Yeah. You know, I, I was reading a piece where Boeing is using devices like this to handle j just keeping track of all of the service manuals for all of the different elements of uh, airliners. Yeah. So right now, if you've got a technical problem on an airliner, the the service guy comes out, looks at the problem, then he has to go back and find the book for it. You know, it, it takes longer to get stuff fixed. But if he has this little ruggedized tablet and it has all of the manuals in it, it saves a lot of time, better data all around. But it has to be tough enough to make it on the apron of an airport. Right, exactly. Interesting. All right, so let's talk about Samsung, number one. And, you know, what is also interesting is this is published at CRN.com, which is News Analysis and Perspective for VARs and Technology Integrators, okay? So it doesn't seem to be consumer-focused or business-focused in either way. I mean, mm -hmm. this is just a value-added reseller rag. Uh, Samsung, increasing 7.8 market share points since the previous May. Samsung claimed the title for best-selling tablet brand for the month. Samsung's hottest items were the 7-inch Galaxy Tab 2 and the 10.1-inch Galaxy Tab 2. Both tablets originally came loaded with Android ice cream sandwich and supported voice calling, video conferencing, and all-share play, a feature that allows sharing media between devices. Samsung's XE700 tablet and the 10.1-inch Galaxy Note were also among the top 10 best-selling tablets for the month of May. And there you have it. So, what do you think is going to happen in the next 100 shows? Jeez, I don't know. But uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, if if I can look back at any trends that have really excited me over the course of the tablet show, it's two technologies in general. One, and both have to do with mobile devices. One is Telerix Icinium. Yep. Which is Cordova under the wrappers, like it's the hybrid development model using web development skills. Yep. And so that allows you to use Java and HTML and CSS to build native apps, essentially what PhoneGap does, now Cordova, um, for any device. Uh, and all built in the cloud, you do not need to have 
any of these machines in order to build them. Okay. And the second one is obviously Xamarin, Mm -hmm. who now lets you build all these things in Visual Studio uh, for iPhone, for Android, for Windows Phone, all based on, you know, the mono stack. Yeah, so from a developer's perspective, it's what did you want to work in? Do you right. want to work in JavaScript or do you want to work in C Sharp? What makes you happiest? Right. Because you seem to be able to build apps for all the platforms either way. You, Regardless, the heterogeneous client world is not going away. No, it's not. And, and both solutions there still require some tinkering to fully take advantage of each of the platforms. You, you can't just write once, run everywhere, and, and expect it to be good enough. That's right. You do have to do some care and feeding. But, you know, I don't think in October of 2011, it was so clear how fragmented the client market was going to be. There was hints of it, Mm. but I'm not going to project, you know, that, that, oh, we knew. I don't think we knew. I think we were arguing about it. Now, I think it's pretty apparent. Yeah, absolutely. After two years of the tablet show, there's a lot of tablets. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of tablets. You know, another thing that uh, another thing that was a major theme in these last two years was branding. Do you brand your UI uh, specifically to look like your app, or do you go along with you know the the iPhone look or the iPad look or the Android look or the Windows Phone look? And how much of that do you do you take from each? And and an, an interesting side story of that is Apple's iOS seven which sort of learned a few things from Metro. Yep. And you know this is how it works, right? Companies innovate and everybody else says, "Ooh, that's good." What's good about that is, you know, are these things that we can use and innovate and bring them to our platform too. Well, and I think Apple had run the limit on the skeuomorphic design mm. and it was time for a change. I think it's time for a change for Apple in general. Like they just got to innovate more right so bottom line is it pays not to be dogmatic to keep your keep your uh hands in all of these uh technologies and in all of these platforms for sure and yeah. and i got to think in october 2011 ui design was stick with what the phone has given you mm-hmm. and that is now up for debate today yep. that you know the facebook's of the world with common branding across all of the devices yeah. and arguably any private app you want a common look across all the devices i think that's happening more and more i totally agree mr campbell all right onward and upward for more tablet shows been fun doing 100 of these with you buddy yeah we're not going anywhere hey tell a friend that we uh that we're doing this the tablet thank you for listening we'll see you next time it's not too much.